This week on the Sports Initiative podcast, I sit down with Basketball Australia National Talent Identification Coordinator, Tony Casella. He discusses the performance and participation program within Basketball Australia, how they create environments for multi-skilled and positional players, as well as some of the key frameworks for talent identification within basketball in the country. As always, if you enjoy this podcast, please make sure you share it with friends and family. I hope you enjoy. Right, Tony, thanks very much for jumping on. I'm not sure what the time is over your end, but I'd imagine it's a bit later than it is here for me. But how are things your end? All okay? Hi, Michael. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, I'm um, super excited to be uh, to be here and have a chat to you about whatever you want to know about uh, what I do in my world. But no, I'm really good. I'm really good. Like I said to you earlier on, I'm just uh, like everyone this time of the year is really busy. So just trying to tie up some loose ends and then plan for next year. Perfect. So people for people that maybe haven't come across you or don't know your background, you just kind of want to give us a whistle stop tour, I guess, of what you do now and then maybe some major junctions across your, your journey to get to that point. Absolutely, yeah. So I've got um two jobs in basketball. So my first job is at Basketball South Australia as a coach educator and I also work in the community space as well. And I also have another job at Basketball Australia as a talent uh, talent scout. So um, with uh, with my job at Basketball SA, um, what I do is um, I take coaching courses for uh, the entire state. So I help educate coaches um, across all the different clubs and get them up to speed with a modern modern way of coaching. Um, also do a little bit of community work as well. I've recently done some uh, walking basketball. I'm not sure how how big that is in in the UK, but it's uh, it's getting some legs here in Australia, and it's actually quite quite interesting and exciting, and a lot more um, engaging. Um, and more dynamic than what I initially thought. So that's been fun. Um, my Basketball Australia role is um, a really cool role, actually. I've had it for three years now, and we've, we've got a team of five. And basically what we do is we look after, uh, we keep uh, keep on keep eyes on talent, that basketball talent around Australia and also um, overseas that um, aren't in the high-performance um, world. So they might be players who are late developers or people that can't really afford to be in the in the mainstream system so um that's a really good job and i get to speak to a lot of um really influential people and find information about um you know some hidden gems so that's been that's been really exciting but i guess my journey to that point um yeah it's been a long one i've got I've, traditionally i've been a coach like i'm a coach by trade i've coached at a variety of different levels i've coached at junior levels i've coached at senior levels uh, state representative levels, semi-professional, um, and it's been an amazing journey. So I've been doing it for about 25 years now. And, um, yeah, I, I kind of got my first full-time basketball job about two years ago. And, um, yeah, along the way, there was obviously a lot of setbacks, um, but I was just determined to to finally get myself a role in basketball, and I've done that. And, um, yeah, it's it's been amazing. And I've learned so much along the way as well. Like one of those things is when you – when you're first starting out and you're young, um, sometimes you're a bit naive and don't understand what, what it takes to actually get a job in sport. And I'm assuming it's like this in your part of the world as well, but uh, it's um, it's not easy. And uh, I guess most people um, would love to work in sport. That's, that's their ideal. It's their dream job. So I've been lucky enough to um, have some relationship or build some relationships over the years that have helped me and people have done some favours for me, which has helped me get 
to where I am today. So yeah, it's been an exciting journey and so much more to learn, as they say. Yeah, and you're 100% spot on. It's exactly the same over here in terms of, you know, it's a very in-demand type roles within sport because, you know, it's essentially a hobby that you're getting paid to do um, with a little bit of hard work tied alongside it. So um, I guess a good starting point for us is what does uh, the framework of basketball look like in Australia? So we get an idea, I guess, of, you know, number of participants, um, kind of, yeah, what the pathway could potentially look like from, I guess, a developmental point of view all the way through to, you know, those high achievers or high performance pathway type players. What does it actually look like within Australia? Yeah, absolutely. No, it's a, it's a good question. One I get asked from a lot of people from overseas, um, and we are obviously from um, internationally. Um, our men are third, ranked third in the world, and our women are second. So we're, um, we're looked upon as, you know, a place that like especially from population share like what do you guys do like what's the what's the secrets but our our structure has been pretty um pretty consistent over the last couple of decades so from a beginner so i'll start from the start obviously like you're wanting to start out playing playing basketball so um, we're, we're club based so normally what happens is kids the age of like um five uh, five and six, they come into what they call Aussie Hoops, which is just a, a learn the skills type program once a week. And then once they've um, once they do that, and, they, and there's some small sided games and some learning that goes along in addition to just just skills work. And then from there, they transition they transition into what we call domestic competition. So domestic competition is um, a club uh, will run a competition for a number of kids, and it can be under uh, eights to under tens, under twelves. And basically, they have they make up a competition. The teams play against each other, and then once the and it's it's kind of like uh, they play at the same location every week. It's uh, low cost. Um, it's pretty. It's not as serious as what happens when you get into the next next stage. So from there, you go into playing what we call district basketball or club basketball, and you get the age groups there are uh, 12, uh, 10s, 12s, 14s, 16s, and 18s. That's the the junior side of things and then from there you get in and you uh you play from you know division one all the way down to you know division five and six and uh, you play for your club and you play for other clubs um around around your state if that makes sense and then from there what happens when you um get to under 16s that's when um all the states um pick their teams and they what they do is they go away to what they call um australian um national championships so in those championships, well, obviously all the states play against each other and it's the best kids from each state um, competing. Um, and then from there, generally what, generally what happens is the players get, uh, the better players get selected to go to the Centre of Excellence or the NBA Global Academy, which is located in Canberra. I'm assuming most of the people um, that are listening have some understanding of where that is and what that's about, but I'll give you a quick snapshot. So um, most, most of our NBA players have gone through that program. So that's... Um, uh, obviously, in Canberra, it's, uh, it's like a hub, an academy where the players live on site. They go to school there, and it's uh, it's it's world class, and it's produced many many different uh, uh, high level NBA players over the years for Australia. And, and those players generally go on, um, and the ones that are obviously making into the NBA obviously represent Australia um, at senior level. So, off the back of that as well, um, obviously we're under 15s now, under 15s, 17s. Uh, and 19s, Australian men's, uh, sorry, the junior 
um, Australian national teams. So players get selected uh, from that. Now, they can be a combination of players who are already in the Centre of Excellence or NBA Global Academy, in addition to um, just playing for their state. Um, so the other thing, too, that I probably failed to mention, every state also has like a, a high-performance program. So they have all the players that are, you know, I guess the, the top 20 in your age group. They all, every week, uh, a couple of times a week, in addition to their club commitments, they play... Um, or they get you know specialized training and they get the strength and conditioning and all the best services possible. So um, that's another a layer of it as well. And um, after that, obviously, um, you, you work your way through and if you're good enough, um, you can go and play in our semi-professional league. And once again, it's still club based and they call that the NBL one, which is like the like a division two league over here. And then um, obviously NBL uh, is the top league in Australia and then the um, WNBL for women is the top league as well. So that's kind of like the end-to-end pathway. And uh, it's been amazing. It's, it's actually been quite a solid setup. Now, the thing is too, like there's been other other providers starting to pop up now and we don't discriminate against players that aren't in the high-performance system. Um, if you're good enough, then yeah, you, we want you to play for our country. There's no doubt about that. But generally speaking, I think what's made it successful is um, the players think it seems to be pretty smooth as far as the, you know, once they kind of go from club, they play in their state teams, and then if they if they're lucky enough to go and represent Australia, or they go to the Institute of uh, sorry the Centre of Excellence, everything seems to be aligned. So we Basketball Australia does a really good job of setting like a a core curriculum or a style of play that kind of filters down to all the states. So it's more so about like how, teaching the kids how to play the game out of concept, so that they can play in any system. And uh, generally speaking, that's that's worked really well over the years and it's something that we continue to keep pushing um, and making sure that kind of everyone's on board with, with what we do. So that's kind of the, uh, that's, I hope that summarizes it, but that's kind of the end to end of what you do when you're first starting out um, from a domestic level, going into club basketball, and then from there going to represent your state. And if you're lucky enough to obviously go to, to the Institute of Sport, um, which is used to be, um, was the COE now used to be called the Institute of Sport and represent Australia at the national at the national level so yeah no that's perfect makes complete sense i think obviously as, as you mentioned they're quite nice pathways and probably level in the commitment in terms of district and state and you know how the, the travel etc uh, goes from there i guess from um an australian point of view because it'd be hard for you to to look at this i guess from the nba global side but what type of player identification models do you guys use to assess those players so obviously you're kind of, it's always a balancing act as, as I found in the talent identification space of going, what's their performance now versus what do we think their potential could be in a few years time and, and wanting to obviously get high potential players within the building. So what do you guys do in terms of identifying individuals that you think might be appropriate for these uh, elite performance pathways? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, there's, there's three kind of streams that we look at. The first one is obviously, do they have the skill um, to play in today's modern game? You know, can they play multiple positions? Are they an elite shooter? Um, can they defend the ball? Um, the, they're probably the, the main things as far as skill. And if they can't, do they have the, um, you know, can they develop that? And the, the thing is with um, talent ID, and as we all know, it's um, not an exact science and, you know, People get it wrong. You know, obviously, a lot of the professional teams still get it wrong to this day. So it's not an exact science. But I think 
um, that's probably obviously do that. You know, do they have talent? That's obviously really important. That kind of falls into the the skills, what they can provide you on the court. So that's probably the first stream. Um, the second one is obviously body types are really important. Um, obviously, how 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 long and how um, athletic they are. I think that's really important. Now that's not a um, it's not a red flag if you if you're not that because there's a lot of players that have gone on to represent our country that aren't you know um, super athletic or super tall or super long, but that obviously does help. We do try and look for um, obviously athletic players um, who are obviously fast and, um, <clears throat> and and have a little bit of length on them as well because that obviously helps in today's modern game, especially helps you become um, you know um, versatile, multi uh, you know flexible so you know, if you need to play multiple positions you can um and then the last one is is character um this is a big one like and this is the stuff that it's, it's the hardest to find is the intel so generally speaking you can tell whether someone is you know athletic or they've got the physical tools or, or they've got certain skill you know they're a good shooter they can defend they've got high basketball iq um, those things you can generally tell when you watch a game and you can kind of figure out whether it translates to the next level, which is uh, once again, that's another uh, another piece that is important that you figure out a way whether you can yeah, determine whether they can play at the next level. And then uh, obviously with the character, it goes into a lot of um, reference checks. Um, you know, what are they like um, as a teammate? Are they... Um, you know, are they are they like obviously do they support their teammates when things aren't going their way? Um, what are they like as a student? What are they like to, towards their parents? Are they respectful? Are they respectful to the coaches? Do they love the game? Um, what's their kind of their injury history like? Who's their um, you know, who's their group of friends that they that they associate with? What their what are their hobbies? What's the likelihood that they'll be um, a player that could represent and you know Australia in a positive way? Do they have all those things, all those intangibles that help um, with Australian teams. And you obviously would have seen over the years in particular um, with the Boomers and the Opals and while they're so successful, they've just got that that mateship that they just want to do whatever it takes to help their team win and they'll make sacrifices. So I think the other thing too is like, um, you know, with most teams you've got three or four main players um, and then everyone's kind of a role player now. Um Will they will will they be willing to accept a role playing for their national team? That's um, that's probably that's the hardest stuff to find because you've got to almost got to project out of the back of that. You know, do they uh, can they step up in the big moments? You know, how do they play? Um, how do they handle adversity? So there's so many there's so many elements to the the character part that um we've got to got to go into. So generally speaking, we look at those three streams. We get um. We obviously speak to a lot of coaches and people and experts that can guide us along the way. And then from there, we kind of, um, as scouts, and in particular my role, what we do is we kind of, we we watch tape and we'll speak to people and we'll do a thorough analysis and then we'll recommend them to the, uh, the Centre of Excellence, uh, NBA Global, which is obviously uh, one of the same. And then um, after that, then it's kind of up to them to see see where their journey takes them. So let's kind of do this in reverse of the three strands that you mentioned. So if we go into that character piece to begin with, um, I guess, firstly, how many um, do you have anyone working below you in terms of voluntary roles and stuff within that scouting network that are regionalized, that uh, that are able to help you gather that information? Or if you don't, how do you go around doing it 
well, I think you mentioned earlier there was like four or five of you. But how do you go around covering Australia, being able to gather that information? Because that's quite a lot of intelligence that you're trying to gather. And obviously, I'd imagine you're going to want to get first-hand references or first-hand examples rather than it becoming second or third or fourth person going, well, I know a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy. <laughs> so how, how does that work in terms of do you have anyone in a layer underneath you guys? And how do you go around actually getting that intelligence from a practical perspective? Yeah, so each each um, state has a has a state coaching director. Um, so we normally start with that person. Now, if that person doesn't know who the player is, well, then we'll, we can generally get to the coaches. And as we over the years, in particular, all of us have been around for so long. Um, it's there's only, we're only one or two people um, removed from someone that knows that player. So we'll go into um, speaking. I guess the the best person obviously is talk to previous coaches. Um, that's a real big one. Um, we don't tend to speak to school teachers and things like, but occasionally I have just to get a bit of a, um, a sense of what the person's really like. Um, there might be even friends of the family, um, that we know that the have played with that player before. So we do, uh, at least for myself. Um, and that's one of the things I feel like I've been able to do a really good job with over the years. And it's probably because I've been, uh, I've coached at so many different levels over 50 years. I've built up this this big network of of people that I know and trust. There's um, just people that just know basketball in, in particular states or regions that I can always kind of um, ask. And it's amazing. It's amazing what people will tell you when they trust you. And that's one of the things that I tell a lot of up-and-coming people that want to get into the scouting world about how important it is to build trusting and genuine relationships. So by doing that, uh, when you ask, seeking information and gathering intel you can get it quickly and fast and you know that's coming from a good place so obviously we we speak to about you know probably generally speaking three or four people and if there's a common trend um good or bad then we kind of we go with that and that kind of gives us some comfort that we've got the right information and how do you manage the relationships that maybe you don't have such good dialogue with an individual because I imagine you know being in the coaching world there's probably some coaches that you've previously got on really well with and that's an easy phone call to go you know Tony how you know how are you how are the wife and kids blah blah compared to someone where maybe you don't agree with the way they coach or one of their players has left to come to you or they've had one of your players and and whatnot how do you manage getting information from individuals like that where it may be slightly more challenging because of the relationship you have Yes, no, that, that happens sometimes. So I guess what I try and do is I try and scout the person that I that I'm that I need the information from. So I'll um I'll speak to people that know them, and then I'll get a, a bit of an idea on what angle to to go into, and whether it's um you know maybe someone that I've had a relationship before that's maybe been a bit strained from back in the days when I used to compete against them uh, as a coach. Now that I'm a scout, like how do we how do we work our way around that? I guess. What you what I try and do is just make sure that um, you know just break the ice a little bit um, and talk to them about why why we're doing it uh, why why I'm seeking information and generally speaking like uh, you know most of the people that I've spoken to in those types of scenarios are they just change because they know uh, that their their intel might help this player go to the next level or get an opportunity that they otherwise wouldn't be able to get. So I guess my experience has been good, um, but not always smooth because you're right. 
um, you've got to be you've got to be careful too because sometimes play or coaches will just um, they will just say everything then say the player's brilliant and they might not go in they might not give you everything so uh, and look I have been caught at uh, maybe once or twice with um, speaking to maybe just two or three coaches that are all just seeing the praises and then when the player actually goes to the um, you know the next place uh, there's some underlying issues that maybe weren't kind of called out initially. So yeah, it's it's not a, it's not foolproof, but like I said, my, my, my approach for that would be, yeah, scout the person that you need the information from um, and then angle it in that particular way. And then, yeah, I mean, in my, in my job as a scout, it's really important that kind of everyone's your best friend. And there's times where you just got to put things aside, even if you don't agree with their, methodology or how they go about things because kind of the end of the day what we're doing is we're just trying to find out information that will help us make an informed decision and that and that information that i can feed through to decision makers as well so yeah that's um it can be a bit tricky in particular if you've um yeah like i said if you don't have a strong relationship with someone or you know going into it that that person um might not like uh might not like you or might not like the organization that you work for so there's been times where I'd have to let people vent um, and they can tell me all the bad things that, you know, have happened in the past for, you know, with what's happened or they've been hard done by by this person or that person. And I just kind of empathize with them a little bit. So I don't really want to you know sit there and say, no, 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 you're wrong. I just, and it's amazing. Like I've sat through <laughs> times where someone's vented for like 10 minutes and then eventually they just open up and they give me everything that I'm after. and it's just a way of them just kind of getting things off their chest and then bingo, I've kind of got what I want. So it's funny too, like they're the types of skills that when you're a little bit younger, you're a little bit more, I guess, impatient. Whereas now as I'm kind of a little bit older, I understand the landscape about how important it is just to uh, be patient, um, go with the flow and see what you can get. And if you can't, that's okay. Um, there might be someone else that can help you. And looking at players that maybe have prolonged success, that maybe because they're in an area of of low challenge they might be the real standout in their environment um and then because of that that means you know they never really match up against anyone in their district or their state that you know is able to compete with them how do you go around assessing their character because you know it's very easy to be all positive or be very teammatey when you know that ultimately at the end of the game your team's going to win because actually no you're unguardable you know you're bigger than everyone you're quicker than everyone so you're you know you're going to be able to make the difference that looks very different when you go up a level go up two levels where actually there is people that are able to compete with you now and you know that might then become frustrating so is there any particular uh, methodologies you use to try and um, assess that in in areas where maybe someone's standing out just because they are that much better the co- than the competition in that particular area yeah yeah there is so we obviously and i think everyone's kind of guilty of this being seduced by the uh the superstar under you know under 10s under 12s on the 14s player and and that's a tough one too and particularly when players are just naturally gifted uh physically um and also just talent-wise that can just almost just cruise through their junior career uh, without too many challenges. I mean, um, what you'll find is they'll hit adversity at some stage for the most part. 
And the other thing, the other common trend, and I know that um, it's talked about a lot, in particular with basketball, which is a, a late maturing sport. So you'll find that a lot of the players uh, and most of the ones that have gone on to play professionally are late developers, um, players who have missed out on um, making state teams at a young age. So recently, uh, I mean, just some examples recently, uh, what, obviously Josh Giddy was one of those, didn't make a state team, I think, until his top age under 18. Um, and then that's the stuff that kind of drives and fuels them, like um, Joe Ingles was similar as well, got overlooked um, and then didn't make a state team until I think he was um, in under 18s. Uh, and that's one of the things that we've got to be really, really careful of. So what we do, generally speaking, is we try and look for um, our age bracket is between 17 and 22. Um, but we do kind of keep an eye on who's doing okay below that that age bracket. But at the same time, we just make sure that we're not getting too high or too low on certain kids because over the years and what we've seen is generally speaking, um, in particular on the boys' side, uh, they're late developers and they're the ones that have to, you know, they persevere, persevere, and they end up, you know, kind of going on and um, taking that, I guess, that grit with them all the way through. So every time they step on the floor, they've got something to prove. Now on the flip side, which is what you were, um, I guess, alluding to initially was um, what do you do with the, the players that are always super talented? So um, what normally happens is they do get challenged um, in particular when they go to the Australian junior championships, when they play in the state tournaments, because that's the best of the best. So you really find during that week and that's a week tournament um, what players can back up um, two games in a row. Sometimes there might be two games in one day and they've got to be, you know, that's really testing them out. And I think you find some players that are great um, at a district level, um, but they may, they may struggle at a state level. And then, uh, and then in addition to that, there might be some great state players, but just don't have the, whether it's the, um, the IQ or even maybe, sometimes even the athleticism, the speed to be able to translate that to the next level at international level. And that obviously generates a lot of interesting conversations because, um, you know, people are like, well, they're doing it at this level. They should be able to do it at that level. And we get, um, you know, obviously when we pick our, um, when we pick our state um, squads, that's one thing. But then when we, when we pick the Australian junior, um, you know, camps, uh, there's always, you know, obviously there's always people that miss out and it's a little bit unfortunate, but generally speaking, you'll find that they'll, they'll get challenged at some stage and it's normally when they go to state tournaments. Um, and then, you know, because that's really, if you can get through that, um, that week of intenseness, um, that's a pretty good indicator. Now, if you don't, and let's say you were able to get through that and then you end up getting to the international stage, um, and you can get through that and then you get through to the professionals, um, what we, what I have seen, I've seen juniors who have been able to be great at state and even international level. Um, but sometimes when they get into the professional level, um, things can change because, uh, it's obviously a lot more cutthroat. Um, there's, um, you know, if you get injured, it's a setback. Um, sometimes people, uh, a lot of players that can come through their junior career and, and not have a serious injury. And then they, when they make it as a professional, get an injury and all of a sudden um, things can turn like things can turn really bad because there's you've got to do rehab um, all of a sudden you're not a priority of people um, you've got to drive that yourself and then one of the things too that I've found over the years and one of the things that I'm I really look for is the love of the game so like if someone loves the game 
Well, if they get injured, they're going to be totally committed to doing their rehab as quickly and as precisely as possible so they can get back onto the floor um, and then join their team and play basketball again. I find that some players that don't really love the game are not in a rush to get back to the, um, to the court and they will they won't do their rehab as well as the, they should and then uh, they get subsequent injuries off the back of that and then sometimes they just they're, they're labored with the oh that person just can't catch a break they just seem to get injured all the time so uh, I guess um, yeah I guess to answer your question um, people get found out at some stage what metrics we don't have any metrics as such it's kind of it's a hard one right like how do you how do you measure grit how do you measure um, perseverance um, through adversity? That's a tough one. I don't know if there is a, a measure. Uh, if there is, let me know. But it's kind of like we just got to do some investigation about, you know, what happens, what what's what are some of the setbacks they've had over the years, and if they haven't had any in particular as they're as they're a junior, um, that's a concern for me to be honest, um, because we've all seen the player, the you know the the junior player that gets the free ride through. And then bang, they hit adversity when when they get into the senior uh, system, and it's um and it's not pretty. So yeah, that's just some of my observations. Perfect. So I guess moving on to the physical side, which you mentioned earlier, obviously you've discussed a li- discussed a little bit around, I guess, bio banding or rate of um, growth and all that stuff, and how that might aff- affect players. And I guess there's two questions for me around that. So firstly, do you use any particular tests? I know that that's um, uh, you know, a question mark around um, in the UK, at least when we start bringing in those type of tests of, you know, how high they can jump, how quickly they can turn and stuff, because when's it relevant? So, yeah, do you guys do any testing, get any testing data that you're able to assess the players by? And I guess, too, for, for looking at those um, players when you're trying to project, how do you manage when they're going through high growth and someone that maybe has had really, really good ball handling before, but now all of a sudden they look like one of the Mr. Men and their arms are floating everywhere and they can't control the ball. So, yeah, how do you kind of manage that? I guess that's more of a coaching, little bit of a talent ID point of view. But, yeah, do you use any testing and how do you support those guys who are going through high growth, et cetera? Yeah, absolutely. So with with, uh, me personally, so we... I've got a few, um, obviously the anthropometric scores that you can get, like the stock standard, um, you know, um, the, the length, um, width of their hand, um, their vertical jump. Um, and like, so obviously along those lines, things that are important to basketball, um, as far as the growth and how, how high someone might grow, that's always a tough one. Look, um, parents are a pretty good indicator, generally speaking. Um, and once again, a lot of the late developers, um, have these crazy growth spurts and what I've seen between um, six when they go between under 16s and under 18s um, so that's always a bit of a kind of an indicator it's a, it's a tough one to kind of judge how how tall someone's going to get um, but like I said we do we do keep an eye on the parents a lot of the players in recent times um, have come from uh, or it might be kids of professional um, athletes have played um, at high level, high level sports in, in the past. So um, we've obviously got, you know, so Ben Simmons, his, his dad was, um, his dad played in, in the NBL here. Um, even Dante Exum's dad played uh, as well. So we've got um, a lot of players um, that, have, that have come from, you know, with their fathers or their, or their mothers have been professional sports players. So, 
as far as all that's concerned, we don't de- delve too deep into that. Like we try and get some information, um, but for us, it's more so kind of the eye test and just a bit of a gut feel. And then from there, when if and when they do get an opportunity to go to the um, any of the Australian junior camps, they do all the testing there. Um, so vertical jumps and uh, all the other all the other things, the stock standard um, testing that goes on there. So that would be kind of yeah. We don't kind of from a scouting perspective, it's like it's more of the eye test and what we can kind of gather versus having like a you know a set guide of. Um, these are the ones that we we need. Otherwise, they can't kind of get through the next stage. And the other thing too, like I said previously, it's not um, it's not the be all end all uh, because there's obviously a lot of players that play at high levels that their IQ is um, absolutely amazing and their decision making and, and positioning on the court can overcome any kind of limitation they've got they've got physically. So you know, you look at Paddy Mills for example. Um, he's six foot, but he's um, super quick and he's probably one of the smartest basketball players going around and he's an elite shooter and uh, one of the most tenacious competitors you ever want to see in your life. And like for us, you know, you just got to see the way he went about his business and um, in the Olympics and, and helping the boomers win their first bronze. It was, it was amazing. And it was such a struggle for the whole group along the way. We got so close for so many years over so many tournaments um, and then to see them persevere and, and come through. So I think, like I said, it is, you know, ideally we want these long, you know, long athletes. Um, and, but at the same time, it's not, it's not the be all end or obviously, because there's other things, you know, and Patty Mills would tick all the boxes when it comes to character um, adversity over the years, obviously even the lockout, he had, he had come back and play in the NBL and he persevered and went back to, uh, to the NBA and ended up winning an NBA championship. So that's a, you know, classic, it's, that's an amazing story. Now, as far as kids that are, um, you know, like you said, they might be long and they might a little be a little bit kind of uncoordinated as they're kind of growing into their skill set. Uh, we are very patient with players like that um, because um, historically, you just if if and when everything kind of clicks, um, then magic happens. Um, you know, even if you look at um, a player who did play in the NBA, you might not be too familiar with him. A player called Luke Schencher uh, played um, a couple of years in the NBA. Played for Wake Forest and. Um, in, America, in the U.S. college system, um, he was long and he's seven foot tall, and he took um, a little while to actually get you know his length and to catch up and his coordination to catch up with his length and his size. And then when it did, he clicked and he found some great situations and uh, went on to have had, had a great career. So uh, we are very very um, tolerant, and this is the thing too. We need to we um, as far as my role as coach uh, as a coach educator, and we we're chilling out. A lot of the coaches here that, you know, with the long, uh, the bigger, taller, longer kids, they take longer to develop their coordination, but stick with them. Um, and then when, if and when it clicks, um, then magical things happen. And that's the hard part about um, trying to sell that vision to a lot of coaches that are thinking about let's win now, let's win now. And sometimes those players can kind of get cast aside into lower divisions and um they don't get the better coaching and then they sometimes they're lost to the sport and they might go and play another sport and get picked up and then bloom from there. And then we're kind of looking back going, uh, where do we go wrong in that situation? So um, because in Australia, we have our biggest competitor is AFL um, football, which is uh, Aussie rules football. And they, um, they're they all over our players because uh, the games obviously are similar because they're both invasion sports and, you know, good basketball players can operate in tight, 
in tight spaces, which is perfect for, for Aussie rules football. Perfect. So before we come on to that, because that was going to be my last question around that cross uh, bit, um, how do you manage a player that maybe tests very well uh, around those verticals and all that type of stuff compared to what you see on tape? Because I'd imagine you will, as you kind of mentioned there, you'll have some individuals that the you know IQ for the game um, allows them to to excel, but you'll have those other individuals where you're looking at all their testing and going, I haven't seen anything like this like in terms of their speed, their agility, their you know their vertical jump. So how do you manage that dynamic of going? We've got a physical beast here, but actually, mm-hmm. we think we're going to be able to add some technique or skills or iq to them to make them really really great compared to someone else goes their testing's average but actually all the intangible stuff on the court we really like yeah how do you manage that from a talent id perspective yeah so i guess it's um that's the art right trying to figure out who's going to project (laughs) and be kind of more successful now there's two sides of that right so um for me, I really rate um, IQ because the game is such a dynamic um, game and it's such a series of quick decisions uh, in a confined space and especially the way how quick the game is now. Like I really rate that. And um, you look at players like, you know, Luka Doncic or even Joe Ingles who aren't um, super, super quick, but they're able to just play in slow motion and just beat people off the dribble um, whenever they feel like it's because they know when to attack and what position and the angles, etc. Um, so for me, it's like the way that we kind of treat it is can they can they use that decision making and um, positioning and can they translate it to the next level? So that's kind of that's the key. Um, I guess it depends on what decision. Uh, sorry, obviously what position they play. It's obviously easier if you're playing a more of a wing or a guard position. But if you're a if you're an undersized big um sometimes that can be he's a little bit slow to get up and back um that can be a little bit of a concern uh, on the flip side if you've just got a, an athletic you know beast then look we want to try as much as we can and get the best coaches helping them out um and sometimes yeah you they'll have to kind of jump the queue a little bit and get the better coaching um and see whether we can help them understand the game uh, make the right decisions and get them to understand when to use their speed and not use their speed and when to use their jumping ability because sometimes players can be super athletic but they just might have no idea and they're always getting in foul trouble and they and they don't understand different concepts or schemes and look the higher up you go you need to have an you know a baseline um, level of intelligence to understand how to play because if you don't, um, you know, we've seen this at, at all different levels of sports, you will get targeted. And um, if you can't guard your own position or you, you struggle um, guarding particular actions, the higher up you get, it just becomes almost impossible for those guys to play in that environment. So you want to try and invest and go kind of all in with those players and try and educate them and try and get them up to speed as quickly as possible. And then, yeah, you just kind of fingers crossed. And if it does click and they can get the combination of athleticism, um, decision-making IQ and positioning and understand they understand how they play the game, then you've got someone, you know, you've got some, something special on your hands. And I think what we need to do is, and one of the things we always preach is be patient, persevere, be um, 
be obviously um, positive and have solution-based kind of conversations with these players to help them learn um, instead of um, the old school getting angry or ignoring them or playing crazy mind games. We want to take an intelligent approach because we know that if we can get it all to click, then, you know, magic happens. And so look at it from, from the final point of view, I guess, around the skill side. Um, you mentioned earlier around trying to uh, produce an environment that they're able to play in multiple schemes across multiple positions and good variation. I think a lot of, as you mentioned, the NBA players that have made that leap are able to do that. Obviously, Ben Simmons, particularly with his length, is able to play across multiple positions. Um Patty Mills, Joe Ingles, um, I know Bogle was a little bit before that, but in terms of how he had that centre position and what he was able to do from a defensive point of view as well. How do you create a curriculum or topics that allow you to explore that? Because obviously you want a level of continuity so people begin to understand roles and responsibilities because a pick and roll big is very, very different to you know, one who's going to stand in the paint and receive and, and, you know, try and work their way in with, with that. So how do you go around about creating a curriculum that allows that experiences to be so vast and allow them to um, develop a wide range of skills that might help them at the next level? Yeah, that's, um that's a really good question. And what's something that I've seen evolve a lot over the last couple of decades, and it's something that's been driven by Basel Australia and back in the day, um, a great man called Patrick Hunt who drove, I guess, this revolution of multi-skilling players and teaching them how to play in any system and getting them to understand all the different concepts. So players can play out of pick and roll. Players can play out of, um, you know, off the ball screen actions, um, where they need to go when there's penetration and there's receivers. So just basically going, okay, state coaching directors, um, we want to produce players that are obviously multi-skilled, we can play um, in multiple positions at both ends of the court, but they need to know how to play um, and understand different concepts so they can plug in and play in any um, any offense or any defensive scheme. So we really spent a lot of time, and I, I remember this in the in the 2000s and even in the, in the 90s where we would, um, we were very motion offensive based. So we would say, you know, Lots of uh, movement off the ball. Um, we would want to make sure that we're um, constantly looking to attack the basket when we get opportunities. You know, we'd have um, back when post play was popular, we'd have offenses where we'd get the ball into the low post and there'd be some split action where uh, or you're cutting on the weak side. And we'd have, you know, sometimes we'd even post up our guards and just make it, um, just make them understand all the different aspects of the game. So, I think that's been an approach that has really worked and it's filtered down from the top. Um, and we're lucky because we don't really have kind of any, um, we've got school basketball, but school basketball doesn't really, um, is not taken as serious as it is in other countries. Obviously the U S has a different um, system there. Obviously it's more school-based versus club-based. Um, but with the high performance program here, um, everyone's aligned. Uh, we don't kind of have anyone arguing about, you know, the style of play, everyone kind of follows follows the script, which is good. And it makes it a lot easier for when the players do come to into our national teams or go to the CLE that you can continue their learning and they have a baseline uh, understanding and IQ. And I think that's probably been a bit of a secret um, weapon of ours over the, over the years because traditionally with Australian basketball players, um, they are really unselfish and they want to play a role and they, 
and they want to help the team win and they're not um so um i guess obsessed with being the man or, or the woman in the team so to speak so in america i know they have the opposite problem they have everyone wants to be the superstar whereas in australia we um we're so team orientated and that's probably why we've got so many players who are successful in the nba wmba and college because we produce some great great role players and then in addition to that we've got some guys that do can step up and and take over and be superstars like patty mills um ben simmons uh joe ingles so we've got that that caliber of players as well so i think yeah to answer your question to keep it consistent the best way and the methods that i've seen that work over the years is yeah teach them how to play the game in all different concepts so whether that's different defensive coverages on how to guard pick and roll, um, whether it's how to attack um, offense, uh, how to attack pick and roll coverages, and that way you, you're talking the same language. It's a lot easier to um, to plug things in and get moving when you have those, you know, those three day camps when you get ready for an international tournament. Perfect. So I've got two questions left because I'm conscious we're at the time we allotted for this. So the the first one for sure. me, what um, what's the greatest challenge? in your current roles and how do you overcome it or how are you trying to overcome it? Yeah. So look with my coach education role, I think the the biggest challenge is to getting everyone on board with the modern day um, way of coaching. So obviously this has impacted uh, all sports in particular evasion sports where small sided games have become kind of the in thing and more of a games approach to learning where when you're doing your practice, you're trying to practice decision-making against the, Defenders or scenarios that are representative of what happens in the game. Um, and, you know, that's complex because it's very different than the traditional um, rote learning that we've been used to doing over the years where you perfect a technique or fundamentals as such and expect that to kind of just appear in a game. <laughs> and that's one of the things that um, when we sit and we talk about it and we go through different examples of how to, um, you know, Run a run a drill where you're um, helping players learn the game while they're playing the game. You might put constraints on there to try and shape their learning. Um, when we go through it, or everyone is in agreement and like, yes, that sounds great, and we should do that. And uh, I've been doing that for a while, but my biggest uh, challenge is when I go to see them run a practice. Uh, a lot of the coaches, and it's a you know. We're very lucky in Australia that one of the reasons you know we've been so successful over the years is the the hard work from a lot of our volunteer coaches. But at the same time, a lot of volunteer coaches don't have the time to formulate um, really intelligent like uh, drills uh, or scenarios that can really test the decision making of their players. So that's one of the things I probably wasn't ready for that. I've been in my role at the moment for two years doing the coach education, and I just kind of thought I'd come in, tell everyone what the best practice is. And then off, off they go and um, and happy days. But it's kind of been a little bit, the um, you know, not the opposite. And there are, it's just the uh, ability for them to take that information, do some more research, you know, be their own kind of, um, uh, be their own kind of mad scientist or chef and come up with scenarios and things that will help their players based on where they are in their development. So um, I've been obviously doing that um, still uh, at the moment. I've obviously coached at a variety of different levels, but at the moment I'm coaching beginners. I'm coaching under 10 basketball. Um, and it's been really interesting just to see how um, players who have just started playing basketball, how they react to this style of, of coaching in the modern way. And it's it's messy and it's hard initially, but once 
um, the players kind of understand and they can the better their decision making, they get more space to do things and then they can execute the skill um, a little bit easier as well. So it's just trying to find that right balance. But um, that would be the biggest challenge, I, I would think, from, um, uh, I guess, from my coach education role. Um, in the in the scouting role, my biggest challenge, obviously, is um, I look after a portfolio, um, which is Aussies and US high schools. And um, I do that because we want to make sure that we're keeping eyes on those on those players. So if any of them are good enough to either come to uh, the COE or represent Australia, we want to make sure that we, we don't, you know, they don't get lost in the shuffle. So I guess for me, it's just making sure that I'm always kind of paranoid. Have I missed anyone? Like, is there any other girls that we should be keeping eyes on? Um, because I've got a, I've got a, a list of about 25 boys and only one girl. And I'm just constantly thinking, are there more girls over there? So that's probably one of the challenges that, that I've got. Um, um, but I'll keep searching because that's, uh, that's my role. And then <clears throat> the last question for me, and I, you're the first person for this new question. Normally I ask one at the end of each yeah. podcast and I've changed it up and it's hopefully one I do moving forward. But if I were to ask people that work with you or that you coach or anything like that, how would you want them to describe you as a practitioner? Oh, yeah, a, a teacher of the game, um, someone who wants their players to obviously read and react and play what's in front of them um that would be someone that would kind of be the way that i would like to be perceived i hope that's i i am um i guess um i'm obviously passionate i want to try and bring out the best in my players as well and i have i have actually genuine care like i really want people to enjoy um what they're doing and try and create a safe and uh, i guess an environment where they can learn and grow now having fun for me and i guess it's not just you know giggling and having a bit of some jokes with your mates it's more so learning and improving because the better you get at something um the more you're going to enjoy it so i i hope that i'm kind of perceived in that in that way where um yeah the players understand that i'm trying to help them um get better smarter enjoy the game more and then um you know they can learn some other lessons in addition to sport and things that they've learned, whether it's just discipline um, or just general decision-making and just, just respect for people around you. Perfect. Listen, Tony, really appreciate your time. A really good insight into the work that obviously you guys are doing out there in Australia and hopefully we can catch up again soon. Thanks, Michael. That was brilliant. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Sports Initiative podcast with me, Michael Wright. Please remember to follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at the Sports Initiative podcast and share this podcast with friends and family. I'll see you next week.